from Atlanta, Georgia, this is the voiceover work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is July 27th, 2022. Today we present the chapter-by-chapter -chapter preview of Mystery of the Kingdom of Heaven by Deborah Bouchard. In this book, we explore the simple message of Jesus. Through this, we come to realize who he was, what the kingdom of heaven is, where it is, and why it's so important that Jesus completed his mission on earth. Chapter 1, The Beginning Lucifer was a magnificent angel, beautiful in every way. He was in the same league with Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel, the messenger. He held the rank of captain and did his task well. There was a song in him that drew others to sing praises to God. Even God called him the light-bringer and son of the morning. But Lucifer's beauty began to consume him, and he thought more about himself than the God he served. He began to think that he could possibly gain more popularity with the lesser angels and even outrank God. Lucifer let his pride develop until one day he challenged Jehovah God. On that momentous day, Lucifer had hardened his heart toward El Elyon, the Most High God. He believed that he could do a better job, be more efficient than God, and take control over all the elements that held the universe. His thoughts about taking dominion were so strong that they made him act and speak differently. The Lord knew what was in Lucifer's heart, because God knows all things. He is omniscient. The Lord said to Lucifer, You've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Isaiah fourteen thirteen and 14. God continued, Lucifer, you will never reach the height of my kingdom, and you will never rule above me. For your wicked ambitions, I will cast you out of this kingdom, and you will ultimately be condemned to the lowest depths of the pit. With that, Lucifer was cast out of the kingdom of heaven, not with the accolades or applause of those who served in heaven, but with rejection and condemnation. Before he left, Lucifer was able to collect one-third of the angels in the kingdom and take them with him to serve him in his new world, earth. Lucifer lost his title, position, and good name when he was expelled from the heavenly kingdom. He became known as Satan, or the devil, and his fallen angels became known as demons. No longer were they happy and full of music, but now full of pride, anger, resentment, murder, and lust for more of anything they could get. They also hated all of mankind. God no longer loved and cherished Lucifer because he was full of self-pride. Never would he be accepted back into the kingdom of God. God, the King of Heaven, remains as the Most High. There is no other God higher than him. Satan is now his enemy and dwells on earth to be a menace. Satan's whole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy mankind. He does this through deception, lies, and manipulation. You may ask, why does Satan hate humans so much? In the scriptures, 
it is written that God created man in his image. Every time Satan sees a human, he wants to destroy that person because he reminds Satan of God. Chapter 2, The Garden It was a perfect environment on earth with lush green plants that provided the perfect place for beautiful animals and creatures to live. It was called the Garden of Eden. God had created the garden as a sanctuary of peace and perfect health for its inhabitants. There was no sickness, food was ample, water was clear and clean, and everything lived in harmony. This was God's paradise. God was proud of his creations. Each creature was unique, and Jehovah had fun creating each one. They were perfect in every way. One day, the Lord God was walking in the garden, communing with the man he had created. Adam was the crown of all his achievements. God empowered Adam by saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1.28 Adam understood that God had authorized him to govern the earth. He was to manage, lead, and rule, for he was in God's kingdom on earth. God was giving Adam the keys to his kingdom. God continued to walk with Adam, explaining the reason the man was there. First and foremost, Adam was God's friend. Jehovah God clearly described the role Adam would play to maintain dominion and keep God's perfect garden. God took man, and together they looked over the beauty God had formed. Every tree was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.9 The Lord said, See all these trees and plants? You may eat anything from them, but of that tree. The Lord pointed, That one contains the knowledge of good and evil, and you shall not eat from it. If you do, that day you will die. Genesis 2.16 and 17 Adam nodded soberly, understanding the severity of God's command. The Lord gave Adam an assignment to exercise his creative side. Adam was to give a name to every creature on the land, every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and every fish in the sea. Genesis 2.19 While Adam was busy creating names, God looked over his creations, and then at the man. He said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper that is much like him. Genesis 2.18 One day, God caused a deep sleep to come over Adam. While in that sleep, God took a rib from Adam's side and fashioned another human, a woman, with the name of Eve. Genesis 2.21 and 22 The man and woman lived in the beautiful garden in which God gave dominion, or total charge, over everything that lived. The woman, Eve, was Adam's helpmate, for she completed him in every way. They shared ideas and worked together, for the Lord had created them to work side by side. Keys, a symbol of power and authority. Dominion, prevail against, reign, rule over, dominate. Chapter 3, Lost Dominion Adam and Eve lived in the garden enjoying communion with the animals and eating delicious food provided by the garden. In the evenings, they walked and talked with their maker, the Lord God. 
It was a beautiful existence that would soon be shattered. One day, Lucifer appeared to Eve, disguised as a serpent. With great cunning, he came to trick her into being disobedient to God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was given that directive when it was only he that lived in the garden. Adam told Eve what God said when she became a part of his life. Knowing that Eve had heard this important commandment secondhand, Satan didn't have much trouble confusing her. He said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Genesis 3.1 Eve replied, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Genesis 3.2 The serpent Satan taunted the woman, saying, Surely you'll not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3.5 Eve had been wandering in the garden and often wondered about that beautiful tree. It was exquisite, and she knew it was very special. As she walked close to it, looking for food for the evening meal, Eve looked at the tree, thinking, the serpent's probably right. My Lord wouldn't kill me, and I won't die. He loves me too much. Besides, I would love to be wise and no good from evil. With that, she pulled the fruit from the tree and took it to Adam, where they enjoyed the delicious fruit. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they both realized that they were naked, for up to this time, they wore no clothes. Now they were embarrassed and sought leaves big enough to cover themselves up. As was the custom, God came into the garden that evening to walk with his human creations. Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves from him. The Lord called out to Adam, Where are you? But he already knew, for God is omniscient, all-knowing. Adam slowly stood up with his head hung and said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Fear is the first negative emotion recorded. All emotion up to that point was joy, peace, and a sense of well-being. Satan had assaulted mankind with his strongest tool, fear. Thus, the first indication of evil was revealed in the garden as a result of disobedience. Fear continues to be a masterful tool over humans, to keep them from achieving that which God has designed for mankind. God, seeing the leaves covering his children, asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Adam defended himself, saying, The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. God turned to Eve and said, What is this you have done? Then Eve cried, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Genesis three eleven through 13 God was angry, disappointed, and sad all at once. He was angry at Lucifer, the fallen angel, for having deceived Eve and then Adam. He was disappointed that they were so easily deceived. Chapter 4 The Kingdom Re-Enters the Earth Son, it's time. The son looked up at the king and smiled a knowing smile. It was time. It was time to expand the kingdom to a new region. 
We must take back the dominion of our kingdom on earth that was lost to Satan, said the king. I know the people are looking for a savior because of the oppression they are under. They're crying out for someone to save them. But, the king continued to instruct, you must go undercover. There'll be no showy entry, no mass attacks by armies. This will be a covert operation. We will take from within, and the enemy won't know what hit him. I totally agree, said the son. The prophet has written that I am to be an unremarkable person, and one who will not stand out. I'm ready, father. To do it in this fashion, it will take more time than if an army were to attack, the prince commented. Yes, but when you go, reminded the king, you'll have all my authority to back you. You'll have my servants at your beck and call. There will be hard times, but you will come out the victor. The son replied, I understand that, father, and I'm ready to do what must be done to restore peace and freedom in our oppressed world. Son, said the Lord of creation, you'll go to the earth and look as any other human. You will experience what they experience. You'll have the feelings and emotions of a human, but most of all, you're going to enter the territory of Satan because there is no human being that can do what you must do. You are the only one on the earth that will be able to redeem the sins of men and women. My law cannot be changed that says, Without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no remission of sins. Leviticus 17.11, Hebrews 9.22 It will be through your sacrificial blood that will make humans who are born into sin, pure enough for me to once again have a relationship with my precious people. Go now, commanded the king, and I will be with you in spirit. Father, I understand what I'm to do, said the prince. I will become a human servant to show your desires, your love, and power to them. I'll tell them of this kingdom and what they can expect when we become victorious. The king agreed. The same government that is with us here in heaven will arise on earth once we have been victorious over our enemy Satan. With that, the prince left the total peace and joy of heaven and entered a whole new world that was filled with hate, lust, greed, and anger. How sad, thought the Prince of Peace, that there's so much misery in this world when it was meant to be full of peace, joy, and love. Chapter 5. Thy Kingdom Come To follow the orders of the king, the prince entered the new world like any other mortal human being. He was born of a woman, but not any woman. Mary was her name. She was a virgin, a sweet, gentle woman who loved God. When Mary was visited by an extraordinary being, the angel Gabriel, she was told that she was chosen above all others. The angel told her she would bear a son the Son of God. Of course, she had a hard time imagining having a baby. After all, she was only betrothed to Joseph. They weren't married yet. When she mentioned this to the angel, he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Luke one thirty-five. At that point, she realized that there would be no physical contact with any mortal man but be impregnated by a supernatural contact. She was overwhelmed with emotion, but 
managed to speak again to the angel, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Luke one thirty eight. The baby's DNA was not like other humans because his father was extraordinary, supernatural. His father was the king of all kings and lord of all lords. He was God. Now, God, or Jehovah, is a supernatural being. He has no flesh, but is a spirit. He has always been and always will be. He is the ruler of the universe and the most high God, El Elyon. No one has dared challenge God and succeeded. There has been one attempt, but it ended in disaster. Lucifer made his futile takeover attempt and lost in the kingdom of heaven. But on earth he was the victor. He was able to intimidate, confuse, and trick the woman in the Garden of Eden. Through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, the dominion of earth was transferred to Satan. Now he held the keys of dominion and has played havoc through his simple methods of spreading fear, lust, pride, and rebellion. He didn't have to be very creative, because man fell into sin easily. In addition, all mankind are born sinners simply because they're from the loins of Adam. So for centuries, Satan ruled and held dominion on earth. Sickness reigned. Corruption of man's bodies and minds was Satan's doing. Hatred, greed, violence, slander, and lust all were birthed by the evil one of earth, Satan. But things were going to change, for the sin-bearer had come to earth. Although born as a tiny infant, within that infant held the future of the world. The angels knew it. The animals of the field and the trees of the forest knew it. Only mankind, who had been corrupted by the enemy of our souls, did not realize it. Only a few humans understood who this baby was. His mother Mary, who had a visitation from the archangel, understood who the Christ child was. She had not been intimate with the human man, but was overshadowed by the Spirit of God and conceived this child. She knew his birth was miraculous. Joseph, the man betrothed to Mary, had every right to have her stoned, because she was pregnant before their marriage. As he was contemplating what to do with his beloved, Joseph had a very vivid dream that he was to marry the pregnant Mary. Willing to take the humiliation and rejection of his family and friends, Joseph remained true to her. Perhaps not known... Chapter 6 The Decree Everyone in the village of Nazareth lived a normal life. Daily chores had to be done, and there were birth and wedding celebrations. Work was an everyday task. Nobody rested but the very elderly and the small children. One day, a royal messenger came into the small village. There was a proclamation reading commanding everyone to return to the village of their birth. Caesar Augustus, the governor, was commanding a census to be taken. Joseph and the very pregnant Mary had to go to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, where Joseph was born. The trip through the dry, barren landscape was very hard. Mary rode upon a donkey or walked, but in her pregnant state, nothing was comfortable. Upon arrival, Joseph was desperate to find a place to rest, because Mary was in labor. There were thousands of people in the village responding to the command, so there were no rooms available. Joseph was in a panic, because the labor pains were coming strong and regular. 
he was determined not to let Mary deliver that very special babe in the street. Finally, God directed them to an inn where, although there were no rooms, there was a clean stable in the back, so the baby was born with very little notice. This baby, who was a prince in heaven, has entered the earth as a king to bring the government of the heavenly kingdom to the earth. A few shepherds in the field were startled on that special night when an announcement by an angelic host proclaimed the arrival of this king. They were told where to find the child who was born in the lowliest of places. Who would think that a king would be born in a stable filled with animals? Who would think the Redeemer of the world would lie in a manger in swaddling clothes? Yes, the king was born in humble means to prove a point. He came as a servant. He was noble in birth, but came in the lowliest of positions. This was a paradox that confused the spirit world to keep Satan off balance. Although Jesus grew as a normal child, no one knew that he carried the government of heaven within him. Even Jesus himself did not consider himself anything other than a child who lived with a loving family. He showed no signs of importance. He was a wonderful child who grew to a preteen teenager, then young adult. He worked with his father, Joseph, in the wood shop as a carpenter. He loved everyone and helped those in need. As a normal Jew, Jesus memorized the Torah and experienced his bar mitzvah. He became a student of the law of Moses and everything that had been written up to that point. In all his studies, Jesus loved to dig out its truths. He experienced life as a normal person and even experienced the grief of losing his father to death. As Jesus approached his thirtieth year, a new awareness was dawning in his mind. He began to realize that God was calling him to be his spokesperson, his ambassador. There seemed to be a veil in Jesus' mind that was thinning between his natural earthly existence and something incredibly bright and exciting. As Jesus contemplated what was dawning within him, he reasoned, it must be wonderfully supernatural. As Jesus' days were filled with everyday life and work, he felt he had another mission on earth. In God's perfect timing, Jesus knew within himself that there was a destiny that he was called for, and it wasn't staying in Nazareth as a carpenter. Chapter 7 Jesus Meets Cousin John Jesus had heard that his cousin John was preaching along the river Jordan and felt an urgency to seek him out. John's mother, Elizabeth, and his mother, Mary, were cousins. It was Elizabeth who knew that Mary was going to bear the Son of God. The baby in Elizabeth's womb that leapt when Mary visited was the John whom Jesus was now searching for. Although it would be a long journey, Jesus started walking over 45 kilometers from Nazareth to the northern part of Galilee. He was determined to find John because something within him told him it would be this visit that would launch him into his future. As he approached the river, it seemed everyone knew of the preacher called John the Baptist. This baptizer was telling anyone who would listen that they were sinners and needed to repent. He kept saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then, after they asked God to forgive them of their sins, he would baptize them in the river. That's why he stayed near the riverbanks. 
It was on one of these days that Jesus strode up to where John was preaching. There were many people, young and old, rich and poor, healthy and sick, that were listening to what John was saying. He was bold and even looked a bit odd as he was dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. But regardless, people understood that they were sinners needing forgiveness from God and were asking John to baptize them. On this day, Jesus gently pressed through the crowd and approached John. He looked up and, seeing his cousin Jesus, immediately went to embrace him. Apparently, John had been talking about someone who would be coming and that he was just preparing the way for that anointed one. At that moment, John and Jesus knew that this was the fulfillment of the prophetic words in Isaiah, which said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah 43. The veil in Jesus' mind was fading quickly. He knew he was on the right road to his destiny. Jesus asked John to baptize him as he had done with all the other sinners. John was shocked, knowing that Jesus was sent by the Holy God of Israel. Surely he is pure and clean already, thought John. Why should I baptize him? Again, Jesus asked John, Please baptize me. This time John spoke, I need to be baptized by you, and here you are coming to me to be baptized? Matthew 3.14 Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it just now, for this is the fitting way for both of us to fulfill all that is right. Matthew 3.15 So John yielded, and with utmost humility baptized Jesus in the river Jordan. When Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens above them opened, and John saw the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus as light as a dove. Then a voice, strong and bold, came from the open heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 Both Jesus and John understood immediately what had happened. Just as Isaiah had written so many years ago, Jesus is the one in whom the world had been waiting. Jesus, although a man, was also God. God in skin, the incarnate. Isaiah had written that he would be known as Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Chapter 8. Jesus Meets Satan Satan, the enemy of God and all mankind. When God expelled him from heaven, he became a totally different creature. He was no longer the most beautiful angel. He no longer carried the peace of heaven within him or a song in his heart. Instead, he was filled with rage, hate, and ready to get back at God through his own creation mankind. While on earth, he was free to do his evil work, and that was to kill, steal, and destroy anything and everything that belonged to man. John 10.10 10. Satan knew that Jesus was a threat to his domain, and could possibly end his reign of vile assaults on people. It was in this time, while Jesus was alone in the wilderness and physically weak, that Satan decided to tease Jesus. His purpose was to tempt Jesus to set aside all his kingly authority and power and to prey on the weakness of Jesus' humanity. While sitting under a scraggly tree, 
Jesus' lips were parched from lack of water. He'd lost weight and was weak from the lack of food for forty days. He'd suffered from the heat of the sun during the day and the cold in the nights, but in the past five weeks, Jesus' constant companion was the Holy Spirit. In that desolate place, Jesus communed with God and was reminded of the many things of the kingdom that he would need to teach the people about the fathers of their ancestors. There was so much good news to share with God's precious people. Life was going to be so different if they would believe what he had to share with them. Jesus would not have traded his time with his father for anything, so much so he was willing to neglect his own body. As he reminisced what his father had been telling him, he heard a noise nearby. Opening his swollen eyes, Jesus saw a form but couldn't make it out. Then he heard the familiar voice of the fallen angel Lucifer. "'I've been waiting for you, son of God,' he hissed. "'You may be strong in heaven, but you are weak here in my dominion.'" Knowing Jesus had been without food for nearly forty days, Satan commanded, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Matthew 4 3. Jesus, in a weakened voice, lifted his head and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 4. Satan was not content to leave Jesus at that rebuff, so he tried a new strategy. Suddenly, in a whirlwind, Satan took Jesus up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Matthew 4, 5 and 6 Jesus knew Satan was trying to get him to fall into the same trap he had set for Adam and Eve. Strength had returned to Jesus as he experienced this supernatural visit to Jerusalem with Satan. Yes, he was the Son of God, but he would not tempt God and his angels to protect him. So Jesus replied with great passion, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Matthew 4, 7 Before Jesus could blink an eye, he found himself standing on a very high mountain. Satan waved his hand over the sky. Chapter 9. Jesus returns to his hometown. Returning back to civilization, Jesus saw the people of his country with new eyes. He saw them with the eyes of his Father in heaven. Those whom he knew as family, friends, and his people of Israel were spiritually void of hope. They'd been blinded in understanding how much God loved them, and, most of all, did not comprehend the purpose each individual had while on this earth. God meant for them to rise above their circumstances, a destiny of victory in their personal business and physical life. God wanted all people to be prosperous. Jesus understood that only He, as the Son of God, could make this change in the environment upon the whole earth. Even though He saw the desperation in the hearts of God's children, He was excited to know that in the near future, they would be able to make a complete change in their situations if they only believed. In Jesus' first visit to the synagogue upon his return to Nazareth from the wilderness, the priest gave him the opportunity to speak. 
The book of Isaiah was handed to him. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of everyone who were in the synagogue were watching him, and he simply said to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke four sixteen through 21 Many marveled at what Jesus had to say, and others questioned, saying, Isn't that Joseph's son? They were looking at Jesus as simply the carpenter's son and his humanness. Jesus then responded to their unbelief by prophesying that once people in his hometown hear of the reports coming back from his missionary journeys, they'll want the same done in their community. But Jesus said, Listen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. He knew that even though they will hear of his great exploits, they would still look at his humanity and not believe he is the Son of God. They'll reason that Mary is his mother, and Joseph is his father, and they saw him grow up as a little boy into manhood. Their memories would not allow them to accept the message he was bringing to the world. Luke four, twenty-two through 24 He continued to explain that in Elijah's ministry, although there were many widows living in Israel during the famine, God sent Elijah to a Gentile woman to feed her. Again, Jesus cited an example that in the time of Elisha, there were many lepers, but God only cleansed a Gentile man named Naaman of Syria. When those sitting in the synagogue heard this, they got very angry and rose up, grabbed Jesus, and led him to the cliff of a hill so they could throw him over to kill him. But Jesus' angels cloaked him, and he walked right through the middle of the angry crowd and departed from his hometown. Luke four, twenty-five through 30 He was ready to begin his mission on earth. Prosperous To push forward until one breaks out of circumstances, to move ahead, advancing with victory in all areas of life. Chapter 10 Jesus Ministers to the Hopeless For the next months and years, Jesus went about to all the villages and cities preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom that he had brought back to the earth was one of love, peace, health, and joy. The kingdom of heaven can dwell in anyone, and Jesus wanted everyone to know that the kingdom was available to them. Everywhere he went, Jesus saw the hunger for this truth in the eyes of those who had been beaten down in life, felt defeated, and were hopeless. He saw the demonic work of Satan starting to crumble when he commanded the unclean demonic spirits to leave the mortal humans as they were set free of oppression and depression. Jesus rejoiced with the lepers as their skin cleared up and was as fresh as a baby's skin. Time and again he touched the blind eyes, the lame limbs, the deaf ears, and the mute mouths that saw total restoration to their bodies. Minds were cleared from the blinders that Satan had put over the thoughts and reasoning of people. He had twisted the truth just enough to pervert God's word so that it caused confusion to pull mankind away from a victorious life. Jesus was delighted 
as he watched their right thinking restored then. They once again had sound minds and were able to think intellectually. They knew what Jesus shared was true. Thus, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah that said, The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Many people started to relax, even in their present circumstances, as they learned to trust God. They began to enjoy life and started laughing again. Entire communities were talking about Jesus and His message. Their thoughts began to be more hopeful as they looked to God for their provision, their healing, and restoration. They realized their answer was not their government, synagogue, family members, or even themselves. They started believing that God was truly interested in their situations and that Jesus was delivering the answers that had been asked for generations. They started declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, believing that He was the Son of God. Trust. To have confidence. Persuaded. An inward certainty. Chapter 11. Jesus and His Disciples When Jesus began His ministry, He knew His future was short. He needed men and women to learn the deep meanings and truths He was teaching. He knew that when He was gone, those who embraced His message and committed their lives to sharing His words and actions would continue to spread the good news. He called, as His inner circle, twelve common men from all walks of life. He didn't need kings, the military, or religious priests. He wanted those who could relate and be accepted by the villagers and share this message quickly. As Jesus visited village after village, these men and women who supported Him in every way traveled with Him. They were His disciples. These disciples lived with Jesus once He called them to join Him. They traveled with Him and heard all that Jesus taught, day after day, month after month, for over three years. They were able to gather all that Jesus was trying to convey for this new kind of life in the kingdom of heaven. Even though the villagers heard only small portions or segments of Jesus' good news message, His disciples got a deeper explanation and responded to whatever they heard. They received Jesus' messages and accepted them as truth. When they did, they were healed in their bodies and minds and were delivered from the hold that Satan had on them. Disciple A learner or pupil that comes to a place of understanding what is taught and is convicted of the truth. Faith Such total assurance and confidence that one would act on that belief without evidence in the natural. Chapter 12. The Blind Can See It had been heard that Jesus and his disciples were in the town of Jericho. Jesus' reputation had preceded him, and the crowds were gathering. As they walked to the synagogue, a man who was blind and could only beg for a living began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't think Jesus heard, so he cried out louder and louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Not able to see, he just kept on yelling out, trying to be heard above the crowd noises. He was getting so loud that many in the crowd wanted to quiet him. But Jesus did hear him and stopped walking. He told the disciples to bring the blind man to him. When they approached the blind beggar, they told him the master wanted to see him. They said, 
be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. With that, the man threw off his cloak that signified he was a beggar and went to Jesus. Jesus had a question for the man, who was obviously blind. What do you want me to do for you? The man answered, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Jesus was very impressed with this poor beggar. First of all, the man recognized that Jesus was the Messiah by calling him the son of David. Secondly, he threw off a cloak that was a symbol of his plight of poverty and disability. When he did that, it showed Jesus that he had faith that he was going to be healed. When Jesus saw this man was convinced that Jesus would heal him, Jesus said, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately the man's sight was restored completely. Leprosy was a skin disease that would create horrific nodules on the body and also deadened the nerve endings, as well as cause paralysis. It made people hideous to look at, and no one wanted a leper in their presence. It was a law of Moses that those with leprosy had to stay away from family, friends, and all of society. They were outcasts and lived in leper colonies where the sick would tend to each other. Family members would leave food at the outskirts of the colony, but never go in to visit. It was out of these colonies that a certain man reasoned, if Jesus could heal the blind, lame, and deaf, then he could certainly heal his skin disease. When the man learned that Jesus was approaching his area, being filled with such desperation, he stood on an outcropping of rock just above the road and waited for Jesus and the disciples to walk by. When he saw the troop approaching, it was then that he climbed down and stood on the road. As Jesus approached, the leper knelt down and said to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus knew the physical effort it took for him to make the trip, as well as the risk of death, for it was forbidden for him to be out in public. Anyone could bring this to the attention of the priests and have him stoned. Pushing those thoughts aside, Jesus reached out and touched this man, and with great compassion. I am willing. Be cleansed. Mark 1, 40-42 The disciples gasped when he physically touched the leper. At the same time, Jesus was thinking, Of course I'm willing. I've come to set people like you free from this disgusting disease that Satan has brought into the world. Of course I'm willing that you live a life of productivity, love, and laughter. At the love response of Jesus' touch, the leprosy left our brave man, and he was cleansed. Immediately, everyone broke out in laughter and danced, rejoicing at what Jesus had done. Thus, chapter 13. Boy Delivered from Demonic Spirits One day, Jesus came from the hills after being alone in prayer. As he approached his disciples, Jesus saw there were a lot of people surrounding them in great discussion. What are you all talking about? asked Jesus. One of the men came out of the crowd and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it grabs him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I came for you, but you weren't here. So I asked the disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. Jesus looked at his friends and said, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? You can understand his frustration when those same men had been out in the villages, casting out demons and healing the sick. 
They had experienced this same thing before, but now they could get no results. Jesus said, Bring the boy to me. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us, and help us if you can. Jesus, possessing the attributes of God, knew exactly how long this child had been experiencing the demonic possession. Constantly teaching, Jesus knew that if the disciples knew the length of time this child had been afflicted, they would see the significance of the miracle. Time isn't a factor in the matter of healing and demonic possession. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran through the crowd. He's dead, remarked the people. But Jesus took him by the hand to help him to his feet, and he stood up. Mark nine fourteen through 27 The crowd was amazed and looked at Jesus with a new respect and began discussing among themselves, believing that this truly must be the Son of God, the Messiah. The disciples, still stung with the reality that they themselves couldn't heal the boy, asked Jesus, Why couldn't we cast this demon out? Jesus replied, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Mark nine twenty-eight and 29. The disciples then began to realize that they cannot expect the demonic world to respect their words unless they were in a close relationship with their Father in heaven. Jesus had been an example of that by getting away by himself to be with his Father in prayer each day. Through Jesus' example, we must realize that if we want to be effective in the spirit realm, we must have a close relationship with God the Father. It is his desire that we continually commune with him to know his heart and mind, so we may help others in their distress. Chapter 14. You Must Be Born Again Pharisees were men who studied the law of Moses written centuries before them. Their fathers and their fathers' fathers also studied the law. Besides the original law that God gave Moses, men had added more laws so difficult that they had to be explained. To study the law and live by it became a lifelong pursuit. These Pharisees were in the synagogue to explain the laws and make sure the Jewish people lived by them. When Jesus started teaching and demonstrating the original intent of God's law of love and honor, the Pharisees had a difficult time accepting what Jesus was saying. They were offended by the miracles that were taking place in his presence. Love was not part of their law. Simply obedience to these strict laws was required. So there was a lot of discussion among the rulers of the synagogues regarding this Jesus, and passions were rising. One night a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus sought Jesus out to speak to him. He found Jesus by himself and approached him to ask questions. The questions were being asked by many in the synagogue, and tempers were rising. Nicodemus wanted to get answers. 
Jesus welcomed this distinguished visitor with grace. Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus gently answered and said to him, Listen, I want you to know that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Born again? Nicodemus couldn't comprehend how anyone could be born again. He loved God with all his heart and definitely wanted to see the kingdom of heaven. But how could he possibly be born again? So he asked Jesus, How could a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus thought to himself, I've been waiting for someone from this sect to ask me the deep and important questions. I must be careful to explain this fully. So Jesus answered, Listen to me carefully. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, which is the natural birth, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus was beginning to understand and nodded, rubbing his beard. Jesus continued, Don't be amazed at what I'm saying to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now Nicodemus was getting confused. This was getting complicated, so he asked, How can these things be? Jesus expected this response because Nicodemus was a man of religious teaching and only knew what he had been taught. But he came from the kingdom of God in heaven and knew the original intent of his father. Jesus answered, saying, Aren't you the teacher of Israel? Don't you know of these things? Listen to what I'm saying. We, the Father and I, speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. If I've told you about earthly things like the wind and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus continued, No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, which is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In that way, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not. 15. Don't worry. As Jesus taught, he knew that people worried all the time. They worried about their families, they worried about their health, their livelihood, they worried about their past, and they worried about their future. Jesus knew that if the people would just accept his message and believe in their heart that God was in covenant with them, their worries would melt away. One day he gave a message to the people to help them understand. He said, Do not worry about life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Then Jesus went on to talk about clothing, that God dresses the beautiful flowers of the field, but thinks more of you, so don't worry about what you will wear. Then he said something remarkable. Jesus said, O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
for after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus was clearly explaining that worrying about our needs is a waste of time, because God already knows what we need. If we are his children, then he will take care of us. Jesus continued, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew six twenty five through 34 The important message that Jesus was trying to convey is that we are to earnestly look to God for our provision and to stay in a right relationship with Him. When we can do that, we'll never have to worry about our needs. This is probably the hardest message the disciples and those in attendance had to comprehend. They'd always depended on parents, family members, the priests, and the government to take care of their needs. Now, Jesus was telling them to look to God for everything. Through Jesus' gentle teaching, he was actually training the people to think covenant thoughts. They recalled that when God had made a covenant with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he made a promise and never broke that promise. What Jesus was explaining to those who would accept him as the Messiah was that God, the creator of the universe, was in covenant with them. He would provide for them, protect them, be a business partner, direct their lives, and be totally devoted to them, if only they would look to him for all their needs in life. Worry, a distraction, a preoccupation with things causing anxiety, stress, and pressure. Covenant, a binding agreement that cannot be broken by either party without penalty. Chapter 16, Jesus and the Parables Jesus often spoke in parables. He would share what the kingdom of heaven is like. For example, one day he was sharing a lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven. He said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew thirteen forty four. The disciples understood this to mean that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that he would give up what he has in his natural life to accept what the kingdom of heaven has. Another parable was understood when Jesus narrated, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore. They sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen forty-eight through 50 Those listening looked at each other and easily understood this story. All people will be gathered at the end of days. Many are believers and will be kept close and live in the kingdom of heaven. But those who are wicked and not believers will be cast into a terrible place with fire. Sometimes even the disciples had a hard time comprehending this new way of thinking. The whole concept of the kingdom of heaven on earth was difficult. They'd grown up thinking one way. Their fathers and their fathers' fathers had lived this way. And now Jesus was asking them to consider this new way of thinking. On one particular day, Jesus was speaking about dropping seeds in the soil. 
He said, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The disciples talked among themselves, asking each other, Did you understand the sower story? It appeared that they didn't have a clear understanding, so they approached Jesus and asked, What is the meaning of the parable of the sower? Before Jesus answered that question, he made a curious remark. He said, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so they can understand these stories better and repent of their sins. Then he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Mark four ten through 13 Patiently, Jesus bent down and opened a bag of grain. As he pulled a handful of seeds out, he then began to explain his parable. Dropping a few grains on the ground, he said, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. As he said this, Jesus swiftly took up the seeds to demonstrate Satan taking away the word. Dropping a few more kernels a few inches apart from the first, Jesus continued, These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Chapter 17 A Few Loaves and Fish Feed Thousands Jesus' popularity grew to where he had thousands waiting to hear what he had to say. They were constantly surrounded by people. One day, Jesus and his disciples were attempting to find seclusion away from the crowds in the hills of Galilee. They all climbed in a fishing boat to cross the lake, but amazingly, the followers saw the boat that held Jesus and his friends. They followed it all the way around the large lake just to sit in his presence. Jesus was so moved with compassion, he docked the boat and went into the crowd to teach, forgetting his fatigue. He taught about the kingdom of God and then healed the sick. As the day passed into late afternoon, a couple of his disciples asked Jesus to send the people away as it was very late and quite a distance to the nearest village that had food. Jesus said something quite curious. He said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. A little taken aback, the men dispersed to figure out how that could happen. After a little while, they came back to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we have only five loaves and two fish from a child's lunch. Jesus said, Bring them here to me. The disciples brought the little boy who held a basket with the bread and fish. Jesus looked at the child with such love that the boy fell at his feet. Perhaps he had never experienced the feeling that someone really cared and appreciated him. At Jesus' command, the disciples had everyone present sit down on the grass in small groups. Then Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the food to the disciples, all twelve of them. The disciples then gave to the multitudes, 
To their amazement, their baskets never emptied. Of the five thousand men present, each ate until he was full. Similarly, all the women and children present ate till contented. This means well over fifteen thousand people ate from the five loaves and two fish. When all were fully satisfied, the disciples passed the baskets to pick up what was left. To their amazement, each of the twelve baskets returned to them full of the same bread and fish. Truly, Jesus was demonstrating how God will provide when you trust Him. Matthew fourteen, thirteen through twenty-one, chapter eighteen, moved by faith. One thing that always impressed Jesus was the faith of people who had a deep desire for a change in their lives or the lives of others. One memorable day, Jesus was walking through Capernaum when a small contingent of Jewish elders appealed to him regarding a centurion whose beloved servant was sick and dying. The Jews had been very impressed with this Greek military man, saying that he was deserving of Jesus' attention by saying, He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. They also explained how precious this servant was to the centurion. Jesus, who was convinced, started toward the centurion's home. When he was only a short way from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. I am a man placed under authority, and, having soldiers under me, I understand that when I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Jesus was amazed at his logic and marveled. He then turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then those who were sent went into the house of the centurion and found the servant well. Luke 7, 1-10 Everywhere Jesus went, the people came, bringing to him the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. They would lay their friend or family member at Jesus' feet with great anticipation. Jesus never said to them, You don't know enough, or I can't heal you. He never said, No, I won't heal you, or It's not my will to heal you. No, whoever came to him believing that he could heal, he would heal them. The multitudes would marvel when they saw those who hadn't spoken for years speak. They shouted for joy when the maimed were made whole and the lame walked. They rejoiced when the blind finally saw colors and forms of people. With these signs and miracles, the people glorified the God of Israel. Matthew fifteen thirty and 31 When we step forward believing that Jesus can and will heal, with no doubt in our heart, that is faith. Faith is action, and when we take action on His Word, He will do as we ask. One day, to demonstrate this law of God, Jesus and His disciples were hungry and looking for fruit on trees. They saw a fig tree and looked to see if there were figs on it. Although the tree had leaves, there were no figs, for they were not yet in season. Jesus wanted to teach the disciples a lesson on how powerful words were. So he said to the tree, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. The disciples looked at each other, wondering what that was all about. The next morning, 
they walked by the same fig tree and saw the tree dried up from the roots. One of the disciples remembered that Jesus had cursed the tree and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, Whosoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive. Chapter 19, The Day of Great Miracles Another time, Jesus was on his way through a village to help a distressed father when it was reported that his daughter was on the verge of death. Jesus was on his way to the home of the child, and as usual, there was a crowd that followed him. On this day, there seemed to be more people than normal, for they were pressing against his disciples and himself. It seemed as if everyone just wanted to touch him or get a glimpse of him. But in all of this jostling, suddenly, Jesus felt power go out of himself. He looked around, trying to see what could have caused this, and asked, Who touched my clothes? The disciples looked at each other, then at the crowd. Pointing at the people, one of the disciples said, You see these people all around you, and you want to know who touched you? Immediately, Jesus spotted a woman on her knees with tears in her eyes, looking up at him with a glowing countenance. He reached out to her and raised her up. She then told him her story. She'd been sick for over twelve years with an issue of blood. Although she had been to many doctors looking for a cure, she still was not healed. In addition, her savings was completely gone. The woman knew the risks she took by entering the throng of the people, because the law of Moses said she would be stoned if caught. But she had heard of Jesus and felt that she would be healed, even if she only touched the hem of his garment. She believed she could be healed. She continued, saying, I just kept pressing through all these people and was knocked to the ground. I knew that if I just touched the hem of your robe, Rabbi, I would be healed. I pushed and finally stretched out to touch you, and instantly I felt power course through my body. With that, tears of worship and thanksgiving flowed. Jesus looked upon her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Mark five twenty five through 34 Faith always touched Jesus. When people trusted that Jesus was the healer sent by God, they saw immediate results. Lepers, the blind, fathers and mothers, and men of other religious sects all began to believe in their heart that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the sent one from God. When they did believe, Immediately their blind eyes saw, legs were strengthened, fevers left. Even the dead came back to life through the faith of their loved ones. Once Jesus and the disciples left the woman who was healed, they continued to the home of Jairus. He was a ruler in a synagogue who had a small daughter who was dying. He came asking for Jesus' help, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Even as Jesus and his disciples were making their way to the home, one of the servants came to the ruler and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
Jesus heard this message. He turned to the ruler of the synagogue and said, Do not be afraid, only believe. The father, although quite distraught, believed that Jesus could help his daughter. Even though they said she was dead, Jesus continued walking to the house. When they arrived, the paid mourners had already arrived and were wailing and crying in loud voices. Many family members were beginning to arrive, joining in the wailing, making so much noise, it was hard to hear any conversation. Jesus turned to his disciples and asked that only he and three others... Chapter 20. The Religious System If Jesus understood anything, it was the role Satan played in perverting the truth. When God gave Moses the laws by which mankind was to live, it was simple and laid out so that man would be blessed by God. But when Satan got involved in the earth and corrupted man's reasoning, those laws were multiplied and became very cumbersome. It was his way to have power and control over mankind. Satan used the religious establishment to bind and subdue the freedom people were given. So when Jesus came to the earth, he saw so much perversion of the original law that he was greatly disturbed. When the priests of the most powerful group of Jews, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, heard what Jesus was preaching, they felt threatened and their hearts rebelled against his liberating messages. The little things about Jesus really disturbed them. On one Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were hungry. As they walked through a field of grain, they started snapping the heads off and popped it into their mouths. According to the revised law of Moses, these men were not to work on the Sabbath. The priests considered what they were doing as work and complained to Jesus. Jesus responded with a story from the time of King David. He reminded them that King David, who was also a Jew, ate when he was in need and hungry. At that time, King David also went into the temple and ate the sacred showbread, which had been sanctified for the Lord. Jesus gave them insight by saying, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Mark two twenty three through 28 What Jesus was saying was, He was the master of the sacred day of the week. He wrote the rules. But it seemed as though man and his need for power had become more important than observing the Sabbath. To make this more clear, Jesus was attending the synagogue one Sabbath, as was his custom. Even though he was God, he continued to observe the Sabbath as prescribed in the Torah. On this particular day, there was a man attending who had a withered hand. He hid it in his clothes because it was appalling to see. Jesus knew this man was in need, so his attention was drawn to him. At the same time, the priests watched Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, which they considered work. They asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Calling the man to him, Jesus said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The priests said nothing. Their attitude made Jesus angry because they obviously didn't care about man, but only wanted to keep a law that had been established by the perversion of God's simple law. 
The way Jesus explained, the Pharisees had made it understood that helping someone in need on the Sabbath was work and therefore a sin. Jesus never wanted laws to override helping others. So Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. As the man stretched out his contorted hand, it was totally restored. It was this man's obedience that caused it to be healed. If the man kept his hand inside his garment, he would not have received his healing. But through his faith and action to Jesus' word, his hand was... Chapter 21 Power of Binding and Loosing More than once, Jesus taught about the authority believers would have over the tactics of Satan. The disciples had experienced great victories over Satan and his devices when they commanded sickness, fever, and many different kinds of unclean spirits, known as demons, to leave people. Jesus demonstrated this spiritual law one Sabbath when he was in the synagogue. Jesus knew it was Satan who was responsible for the agony, suffering, and distress in the world. On one particular Sabbath day, Jesus saw an old woman who was so bent over, her nose touched her knees. She couldn't rise to stand up, but walked bent over. Jesus had compassion on her because she had a spirit of infirmity. He learned that she'd been like that for eighteen years. Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and praised God. Again, the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath. The man called out to the crowd and said, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on another day, not on the Sabbath day. Jesus then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? With that, Jesus' accusers hung their heads with shame, while everyone else celebrated what God had done for their dear sister. Luke sixteen ten through 17 Jesus had been teaching his disciples God's intended understanding of his love and laws. He'd come to the earth from heaven to deliver the message that they would soon have the power and authority over the enemy Satan and his evil spirits. On two occasions, Jesus instructed his disciples on this authority. The first time, when he was discussing the power over the enemy with his disciples, he said, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew sixteen eighteen and 19. The keys of the kingdom of heaven mentioned were not physical keys, but they were a symbol of power that Jesus would deliver in the future. These keys could be used once Jesus had fulfilled his assignment on earth. The power and authority he would make available to those who believed in him would make it possible to bring the power of heaven to earth. If God the Father disallows something in heaven, it can be bound and disallowed on earth. If there is a situation that is perfectly acceptable in heaven, then it can be loosed on the earth. 
Another time, Jesus was instructing his followers how to handle a fellow believer when he was disobeying, sinning against God and fellow believers. Jesus knew that the one who motivates disobedience is Satan. Therefore, he explained the principle of binding and loosing once again by saying, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask... Chapter 22, Learning to Pray As Jesus taught the people of the villages, he continued to teach deeper truths to his disciples. They were beginning to understand who Jesus was, why he was there, but still thought like their fathers in many ways. Yet Jesus was beginning to stir revelation within them to the point where they were breaking free from tradition. An example of breaking free from tradition was in the way they prayed. Jesus was a man of great prayer and taught his followers how to pray a prayer that would make a difference in their lives. He quickly taught them that those who prayed in the synagogues and on the streets were vain. They would stand, beating on their chests, saying how great they were and what they did for God. They were actually hoping to impress anyone who heard. But Jesus explained, Don't be like them. Go into a secret place and be his friend. Talk to him like he's your daddy. Jesus explained that our Father in heaven knows what we need even before we ask him. But what God the Father wants is for us to acknowledge him as the one who can hear and respond to our prayers. Matthew 6. Jesus then taught how to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This opening line reveres God as the one true living God, the only God, the most high God, also known as El Elyon. He went on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was Jesus' way to say, we have the right to command what God has set in place in heaven to be done here on earth. Jesus' whole purpose on earth was to bring the kingdom of heaven and the dominion that belongs to man back to earth. With this statement, we are acknowledging that we understand what is in heaven, which is total peace, health, joy, adulation, worship, and contentment. Jesus knew this can be on the earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus continued to stress the importance of relying on God for daily provision and to trust Him for everything. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 9-15 Jesus knew this was a big hurdle for people to overcome. He explained, if you forgive others the things they've done to you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others the things that offended you, grieved you, hurt you, or destroyed things in your life, then neither will your Father forgive the things you have done to offend, grieve, hurt, or destroy others' lives. Mark eleven twenty-five and 26. This model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples to pray was just that, a model. It's like an outline or the bones by which we structure prayer. So as we learn to commune with our Father in heaven, we can think of it as doing business with him. Recognize who God is. 
know that He is your provider. You have a right to acknowledge what is in heaven can be done on earth. We must also understand that forgiveness is essential in order to have God forgive us. If God cannot forgive us because we don't forgive others, then we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven because we're being rebellious against God's law. Forgiveness is also necessary for God to be able to hear our prayers. Chapter 23. Understanding who Jesus is. Jesus was always a man of surprises. He never did things in a normal, conventional way. There was a time when he and his twelve disciples got into a boat to rest. While in the middle of the sea, a great storm arose. The waves were so high that the boat was in great peril. Many of the disciples were fishermen and used to storms, but this one was frightening them. They really thought the boat was going to capsize. In spite of the fact, Jesus was sleeping soundly. They decided to wake him up. They cried out to him, Lord, save us, we're perishing. When he woke up and realized what was happening, he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Jesus was disappointed that they didn't have confidence that because he was in the boat that nothing would happen to them. Again, teaching them through action, Jesus stood up and rebuked the winds and the sea. Immediately the waves calmed and the winds ceased. The men in the boat marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Matthew eight twenty-three through 27 On another occasion, Jesus was discussing the purpose he came. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, Jesus said. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He continued, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew ten thirty four through 39 In this difficult lesson, Jesus wanted to make it clear who people were embracing as Savior. They were declaring him as Messiah, Son of God. However, he wanted them to know that it was not going to be easy, because as surely as one accepted him as their Lord, those nearest to them would be against that decision. Satan will make sure that family members would come against them and even cast them out of their lives. On the flip side, we must be careful not to make other people or things more important than our relationship with the Father. Part of making a covenant or binding agreement with God through the acceptance of Jesus being His Son was the responsibility of not denying the fact that He is Lord and Master of your life. In many cases, this could be very difficult and would take a great deal of sacrifice and discipline. Our decisions now will determine how Jesus will represent us when we stand before God in heaven. However, Jesus also wanted those listening to know the positive side of being a follower of his by saying, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him 
I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. It is important to realize that when we tell people He is part of our life, He is our protector, provider, healer, savior, then He will be able to tell His Father in heaven all about you. Many months later, Jesus was with His disciples and asked, Who do men say that... Chapter 24, Jesus is the only way. On several occasions, Jesus delivered a message that showed people how to live forever with the God of creation, the God of love, the God of restoration, his Father. Jesus knew that he was to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth, but also knew that it is appointed for men to die in the flesh. God ordained men to live a certain number of years on this earth, but eventually their mortal bodies would stop functioning. The heart would stop pumping, the blood stop flowing, the brain stop functioning. At that moment, man would be dead in his physical body. Our body is flesh, which is corruptible. That means it will decay when we die. But the moment we die, our souls, that is, our mind, personalities, and even emotions, will continue on forever. We'll be able to see, smell, feel emotions, and react to what is around us. Regardless of what any people, religious or non-religious, say, we will go into eternity with our thoughts and memories. Heaven is a place that is eternal. It is a real place for our real souls. The place that a believer in Jesus Christ will spend eternity is a place of peace, joy, satisfaction, and surrounded by love. Imagine being in a place of total security, peace, and love forever. When a person who has believed that Jesus is the Son of God breathes their last breath on this earth, they will continue to live forever with God in a place called heaven. Another place that is eternal is a place that is dark and terrifying. It's called hell or Hades. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. God never meant for mankind to inhabit hell because it is total separation from God. When Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, their disobedience separated them from God and they became sin. Sin is not allowed in God's presence, so there's no way a sinner can live eternally in heaven where God is. That is why Jesus had to come to earth. He was to be the ultimate sacrifice by shedding his blood and take all our sins upon himself so we could become sinless. Unless you believe and accept that Jesus is the Son of God and became the sacrifice to take away the sins of this world, you cannot enter heaven. Those who make Jesus Lord of their lives will never have to experience a moment of hell. Hell is literally such a dark place you can't see your hand in front of your face. Satan will rule hell, which means it will be full of wicked, frightening creatures that are meant to torment the occupants. The worst thing about hell is that Jesus will never reside there. There will be no love, compassion, or forgiveness. Without Jesus, it will be a hopeless, frightful, horrible place. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he shared what hell is like. He doesn't want a single person to go there but wants people to believe in his word and spend all the days of eternity with him. 
Jesus shared this with his followers. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Chapter 25 Enemies of Jesus Although Jesus performed wonderful miracles and gave people hope and encouraged them, there were those who regarded Jesus as a threat and an enemy. Who could possibly not like Jesus? It was those who knew the Scriptures best, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were men who thought they guarded the law of Moses, and it was their duty to adhere to them. Unfortunately, the law of Moses that God gave had been enhanced, embellished, and even perverted over hundreds of years. Using men, the law was perverted by the enemy to benefit those who professed to be the leaders of the synagogue and give them power over people. This would cause disillusionment and confusion among those who God loved so much. Jesus defied the laws men had made. These added laws made his father's laws and statutes so binding that it was difficult to understand his love. Jesus' whole purpose for coming to earth was to demonstrate God's heart and his love to his creation. With the self-imposing rules of the religious sect, it made the love of God obscure and impersonal, even cold. Jesus needed to let the rabbis and scribes know how they looked to the Father. Often the Pharisees would stand among the crowd and listen to Jesus. Then they would ask him a question to try to trip him up. Jesus knew what they were up to and wasn't surprised when they pulled the ultimate trick on him. There was a political party called the Herodians who, on any normal day, would be an enemy of the Pharisees. But because both groups wanted to see Jesus eliminated from their communities, they united for this one cause. This particular day, the Pharisees sent their students with the Herodians to Jesus to find fault in him. The men started by saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They had done this before, and Jesus knew it was a trick. He asked them, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. Jesus asked, Whose image and inscription is this? As he pointed to Caesar's picture on the coin, the men said, Caesar's. Jesus said unto them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. This left the men in awe, and because Jesus was completely honest, and they found nothing in which to fault him. Matthew twenty-two fifteen through 22 Mark twelve thirteen through 17 Many times we're tempted to not pay our taxes because we don't agree with the system. But Jesus' response is that we pay our taxes to the government, and we pay our tithes to God. There is no other way to please God. Honor the governmental system and honor God. 
These groups of the Sadducees and Pharisees kept attending Jesus' meetings, asking him hard questions, expecting Jesus to stumble somewhere, but he never did. Eventually, they decided that since they couldn't get Jesus to step into their traps, they would go to the Roman government and tell lies about Jesus just to get him arrested. As this plot was being developed between the Jewish leaders and the Roman government, Jesus knew that his time was short. Chapter 26. Jesus' View of Wealth There are many wealthy men and women in Jesus' life. He was supported by wealthy people and didn't reject their support. He knew it was important for them to give to him since he was representing God on this earth. One day Jesus told a story that illustrated how important it is to use your money to benefit people and the kingdom of heaven. There were two men in his story. One's name was Lazarus. The other was called a certain rich man. The rich man had everything in life he needed, was dressed in fine clothes, and ate wonderful, rich foods. Lazarus was a beggar who sat at the rich man's gate, just looking for crumbs from the man's table. The rich man never helped the beggar, who was also obviously sick. In this story, both men died. They ended up in the place of the dead. The rich man was in a place that was hot. There was no water or food, and the torment never ended. He looked across a great gulf and saw the beggar Lazarus, who had lain at his gate, sitting in the arms of Abraham, where he was enjoying a very comfortable existence. The rich man cried out to Father Abraham, Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you were tormented. See this great gulf between us? No one can pass over this from one side to the other. Lazarus cannot get to you, and you cannot come here. The rich man then appealed to Abraham to send Lazarus back to his five living brothers to tell them of the awful place he would spend eternity because of his stinginess and lack of care for those less fortunate than he. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. To that the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham finally said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rising from the dead. Luke 16, 19-31 Jesus finished his story. The reason he told this was to emphasize the importance of looking at others' needs. Wealth does not automatically condemn one to hell, nor does poverty in this life guarantee eternal joy. If the rich man had compassion on Lazarus and helped him with medical needs or food, perhaps he would have spent eternity in Abraham's bosom and heaven. Instead, he chose to overlook the needs of Lazarus. Jesus was aware that the works of man doesn't automatically reward a person with an eternity in heaven. However, if one has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there is a heart change that will be reflected in an attitude toward material possessions and wanting to help others. When we live to please God, we will then be happy to help those whom we can help 
with the possessions God has given us. Chapter 27 Jesus and the Death of Lazarus Jesus' days on the earth were coming to a close. He continued to give the gospel to the people, but he was spending more time with his closest group, the disciples. They were the ones who would continue to spread the good news when his work was finished on the earth. Even though the disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, they didn't completely understand all that Jesus taught them. Jesus knew that they would have to experience many things before they realized that the words he had spoken described what would happen. As Jesus and the disciples were in one of those meetings in the countryside, word came to Jesus that his dearest friend Lazarus was very sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, wanted him to come because they knew that he could heal him. When Jesus heard the report, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. With that, Jesus continued to teach the disciples two more days. Finally, he said, Let us go to Judea again. The persecution from the religious sect was getting stronger toward Jesus, and their hate was influencing more and more people. The crowd tried to stone Jesus the last time he was in the area, and the disciples were fearful to go back. Jesus shared another spiritual truth about fear. He said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. John eleven nine through 10 He was referring to himself as the day and Satan as the night. When we have the life of God on the inside of us, we should have no fear of Satan and his strategies against us. With that, Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus only sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. The disciples thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was taking a rest in sleep, but Jesus was referring that he had died. So Jesus had to say, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. The disciples must have looked at each other in dismay. They found it hard to believe that Jesus was glad that his beloved Lazarus was dead. This was truly confusing, but they followed Jesus to Bethany. They knew something spectacular was going to happen, and it did. As Jesus arrived in Bethany, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Because Bethany was only two miles away from Jerusalem, many of the Jews from there had joined the sisters, Mary and Martha, to comfort them. When Martha heard that Jesus was approaching, she ran to him while Mary remained in the house. When she reached Jesus, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Her faith was so expectant that she knew that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. They continued walking to the house as Jesus said, Your brother will rise again. Martha, knowing what she had been taught in the synagogue about the future of the resurrection of the dead in the last day, said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus turned to her, looking into her eyes, and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
Martha. Chapter 28, Satan's Plot to Remove Jesus. The chief priests and the Pharisees started meeting and planning on how to stop Jesus. The Lazarus incident had them shaken. Many Jews left Bethany believing Jesus was the Messiah. The priests were afraid everyone would believe in Jesus and turn from their Jewish traditions, losing their power and authority over the people. They also felt if Jesus gained more followers, the Romans would come and take away both Jerusalem and eventually the nation of Israel. So they began plotting how to eliminate Jesus. They reasoned it would be best for one man to die instead of the whole nation. This is the way Satan works. He deceives people into believing a lie. Satan uses people. He will not reveal his own person, but empowers men through mental images and thoughts of what he wants to accomplish. Jesus was not the only one who was a thorn in the side of the religious men, but also anyone who becomes a follower, disciple, believer in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus was a huge threat to Satan's dominion on earth. Satan felt if he removed Jesus, he would eliminate the threat. Little did he know he was playing right into the hand of the divine plan. Satan cannot read minds. He is not omniscient, all-knowing as God is. He reads facial expressions, listens to our speech, watches our attitudes, and, of course, uses our history against us. Jesus knew his time was growing short. He started being bolder in his actions, and when he taught his followers, he was more deliberate in preparing them for his future on earth and giving them direction for their future as well. Chapter 29. Darkness Closes In Jesus knew this time was coming, a time when the religious spirit would raise its ugly head and help the Sadducees and Pharisees succeed in a plan to kill him. The spiritual atmosphere was getting darker and darker. Even though people surrounded him with love and adoration, those on the fringes of the crowd were plotting to kill him. Jesus knew he must work more closely with those who had been devoted to him for three years to prepare them for what was ahead. Although the twelve men walked with Jesus from village to village, slept with him under the trees, watched as he performed amazing signs and miracles, there was still a lot of teaching that needed to take place. Jesus sensed the spiritual atmosphere of evil closing in and knew he had a short time. His disciples needed more of his personal time, so when he was no longer with them, they could continue his work. One of his disciples was Judas Iscariot. Jesus asked him to join the troop of disciples, and he gladly did. He saw that Jesus could be one that would confront the oppressive Roman government. Judas felt that Jesus could possibly start a revolution because he kept talking about a kingdom. As the years passed by, Judas began to realize that Jesus was a man of peace and love. Jesus explained that the kingdom he was setting up was not on this earth but in heaven. Judas was disappointed and deeply agitated by this because he wanted to fix the government on the earth here and now, but he realized that Jesus wasn't the one to do it. Judas kept thinking how disappointed he was in Jesus and became obsessed with those thoughts. Because he was so angry with Jesus, Satan started whispering lies into his mind. With these thoughts, Judas felt he had to force Jesus into action. In a moment when he felt overwhelmed with the need to do something, he went to the chief priests and said, 
What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? As the priests looked at each other, realizing their good fortune, they had agreed to give him thirty pieces of silver when he turned over Jesus. From that time on, Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. Chapter 30. The Triumphal Entry Knowing that he had a very short time left to minister to his disciples, Jesus wanted to meet with them privately for special instructions. He asked two of his disciples to run a special errand. As they were approaching Jerusalem, he told them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied, one on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. It happened exactly as he said, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on the animal, and Jesus sat on it. The people in the villages on the way to Jerusalem heard the Master was coming down their road. They knew of all the marvelous works he had performed. Many of those who had been healed laid their clothes on the road in front of the donkey. Women who heard the one who had healed their loved ones was coming by started cutting branches from trees to lie at the feet of the Messiah. Children started waving palm fronds, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Mark 11, 1-10 Jesus knew that what he was doing was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, which said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you! He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9 9. Judas was appalled at the lowly way Jesus was presenting himself. Although he knew Jesus wasn't going to meet his expectations in the way he would conquer the Romans, he still was embarrassed at how Jesus was presenting himself. How can anyone be a conqueror riding on a donkey? Judas thought. Kings should ride a stallion and prance in the glory of knowing he would be the victor over the Romans. His thoughts continued. Jesus looks ridiculous. He'll be the laughingstock of all the city of Jerusalem. More of these thoughts flooded the mind of Judas, which made him angrier and angrier. But in the week ahead, Jesus would accomplish all that he had come to earth to do. He would secure the kingdom of heaven to earth through one act of sacrifice. Hosanna, save now, came to be a customary shout of praise like Hallelujah. Chapter 31. More to Teach Just as parents who are about to leave their children for a trip, or an employer who's about to leave the business to his employees for a time, the most important last-minute instructions are spoken as they depart. Jesus did the same with his disciples. There were many things that he wanted to convey to them in a short time. So over the last few days of his life, he started telling them the harder, deeper things of faith and their future. Following Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, he started teaching his disciples how to speak in faith. The day before, he'd been hungry and wanted a fig, but the tree they found was producing no figs because it was not the season. Even so, Jesus declared, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. The disciples heard this and looked at each other confused. 
thinking he's just grumpy. The next morning they passed by the same fig tree and saw that it had dried up at the roots. Peter said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered away. Jesus, knowing this was an object lesson he had to teach, began by saying, Have faith in God. Listen to me. Pointing to a nearby hill, Jesus said, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and really believes what he says and doesn't doubt in his heart, it will be done. When you believe that God hears you, and you are speaking according to the heart of God, then I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Mark eleven twenty through 24 Jesus knew that his physical presence with the disciples would be over. They would soon be on their own, and had to know how to take authority in the spiritual realm to make a difference with things in the natural realm. Jesus wanted them to realize that faith and doubt are the exact opposites. If one has any doubt in their heart, they are expressing that God doesn't exist, or that He is unloving and uncaring about your needs. Doubt, Jesus knew, gives rise to fear, which brings torment, not peace. Fear, Satan's number one weapon against the human mind, actually keeps men from receiving the good things God desires to send their way. Oh, Jesus thought, if mankind could only know how much my Father loves them. He wants to give them good things and not bad. What parent would give a child a stone instead of bread? My Father is a wonderful parent to all who would just believe. He has so many good things stored up for them. If they would just believe and have faith. Chapter 32 Jesus Celebrates Passover with His Disciples The time to celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread had arrived. Jesus told them to go to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the preparation was accomplished, and when evening had come, Jesus sat down with the twelve. These were the twelve who had been with him for the last three years, walking, sleeping, eating, and experiencing the miraculous hand of God wherever he went. Usually a servant would wash the feet of the guests when they enter a home, but since they were meeting privately, there were no servants at the moment. Jesus removed his tunic and took a towel and a bowl of water. He then asked the disciples to remove their sandals so he could wash their feet. Peter spoke up and said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this night. Then Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. He said this because he knew Jesus was the Son of God. He felt they should be washing his feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Then Peter said with humor, Okay, well don't stop at my feet. Wash my hands and my head too. Jesus finished washing all their feet. Then when he was done, he asked, do you know what I've done for you? You think I shouldn't lower myself because of who I am. But I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Listen to me. Servanthood should be expressed by all. Whether you have a high or low position, no one is higher than another. This is a lesson all must learn. 
Just as the meal was being served, Jesus said, Listen to me. One of you will betray me. Each one looked at the other with a question in their eyes. They each turned to Jesus and asked, Lord, is it I? Judas and Jesus had just reached for the same bowl to dip their bread when he made that statement. Everyone was so shocked. They hadn't noticed. And Jesus simply said, It is the one who dipped his hand with me in the dish who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Even Judas played along and said, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said, You have said it. Now, after dipping the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. With that, Judas left the room to go to the priests, waiting to hear where they might find Jesus. Matthew twenty six seventeen through twenty five, John thirteen twenty seven. The disciples didn't think it out of the ordinary that Judas would leave, since he was often running errands for the master. However, on this night, Judas was running an errand for Satan. Chapter thirty three, a new covenant. As the meal was being completed, Jesus said, I've really looked forward to this time with you before I submit myself to my enemies. He then took bread and broke it, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Jesus said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Although those elements weren't really Jesus' body or blood, they were to be a symbol for all to remember a new covenant that Jesus was creating to take the place of the old covenant that was established in the past. Not until Jesus completed his assignment on earth would anyone, even the disciples, understand the new covenant. Matthew twenty six twenty six through 28 Jesus continued talking with his dearest friends. Little children... I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and, as I said before, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. John thirteen thirty three through 35 Jesus let his mind wander back to the day he had been asked by the scribes listening to him teach, which is the first commandment of all. Jesus, knowing that this group really wanted to know and wasn't trying to trick him, answered, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. It is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mark twelve twenty-eight through 31 Love, Jesus thought, is the glue that holds this world together. Satan wants hate to infiltrate the mortar of this world. If people could love each other, then 
there would be consistent care, thought, and dedication between people of all races and creeds. Oh, that my sacrifice would be recognized as the ultimate love for all mankind. With that last thought, Jesus shook himself back to reality. Remission, freedom, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, liberty. Chapter 34, The Holy Spirit Revealed With his closest disciples gathered in the upper room, Jesus revealed a very special part of a sad message. He had been telling those who had been with him for years that he was going to leave them. But this time, Jesus wanted to give them a message of hope. He said, I've been sharing many things with you in the past, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and help you remember everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a special gift and that of peace. My peace is a different kind of peace that this world doesn't hold. Don't be troubled, and don't be afraid. You've heard me say that I'm going away and then coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I'm going to the Father. I'm telling you this before it happens, so that when it does, you'll believe. I don't have much more time with you, because the ruler of this world is coming. But he has nothing on me. The world will know that I love the Father, and... As the Father gives me a commandment, I will do it. He then called his disciples, Come, let us go to the garden to pray. John fourteen twenty-seven through 31 Jesus knew that Satan was about to have his way with him. He knew that Satan felt the only way to keep his dominion on earth was to kill Jesus. Jesus, his enemy, was influencing too many people and giving them knowledge of power and dominion over Satan and his demons. Jesus knew if those people told their friends and family about his life and the love he had for others, this would multiply and make more people aware of the power of the kingdom of heaven. The message that Jesus was spreading was infiltrating the hearts and minds of Jews, making many converts. These Jews realized life could be more enjoyable and prosperous through the life of Jesus Christ. Satan had to force his way into the minds of those who were already threatened by Jesus and work his deceitful plan. Men were obeying Satan and his demons by giving in to hate and greed. That very night, Judas gave the priests the information they needed as to where to find Jesus and receive the thirty pieces of silver he was promised. The priests then made arrangements with the government to arrest Jesus in the garden, while others were spreading lies and rumors about him. The plan was to incite the people against Jesus so when he was before the governor, they would rise up against him. Jesus, as the Son of God and the Son of Man, knew what was happening in both spiritual worlds. He knew what Judas had done, and he also knew that Satan had organized a conspiracy among the Pharisees to turn him over to the Roman government. There had been several plots to remove Jesus and even to kill him, but those efforts were early in his ministry and could not be accomplished. Now, at this time, Jesus was ready to give himself over to those who hated him. It was for this time that Jesus came to the earth. This was the ultimate sacrifice Jesus would make for mankind. He knew it would be very difficult for his humanness, but he also knew the Holy Spirit would be there to give him the strength to face the next several hours. The Holy Spirit, Jesus thought, will be my strength and my comfort. He'll be with me every step of the way. Chapter 35, Final Instructions 
As they were walking to the garden, Jesus wanted to share some very special instructions to his remaining eleven disciples. Jesus began by saying, I want you to think of me as the vine, and my father as the vine dresser. Every branch that is attached to me that does not bear fruit, he will take away. If the branch does bear fruit, he will prune it so that it can bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered. Then they collect that branch and throw it into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. My Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. John 15, 1-8 the disciples nodded and agreed that what Jesus had just said made sense. They talked among themselves a few minutes about what fruit they would bear. Then Jesus said, You have seen how the Father loves me. I also have loved you. Dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy will remain in you and that your joy will be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends, and you are my friends, so go and do whatever I command you. John fifteen nine through 13 Jesus and the disciples continued to walk, and he told them many things to come. He told them that they didn't choose him, but he chose them and appointed them to go and bear fruit, and that their fruit would remain. He also told them whatever they asked the Father in his name, he would give them. Then he told them of how the world will hate them because of who they had become. They would be witnesses to all people, telling them who Jesus was, and the Holy Spirit would help them. Abide. Dwell. Remain. Set roots down, as in a foundation. Chapter 36 The Coming of the Holy Spirit Jesus started to get excited when he began talking about the Holy Spirit. He talked as if the Holy Spirit was his friend and companion. As the disciples approached the hill of Gethsemane, where they were going to pray, Jesus started talking more of his leaving. I know you're growing sad, because I keep talking about going away, but I have to tell you, it is to your advantage that I leave, because if I don't, the Holy Spirit, who is your helper, will not come. But when I leave, I'll send him to you. Just as the Father and I are one, so is the Holy Spirit and I one. I am only one person, but the Holy Spirit can be a helper to each one of you, all at the same time. When he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they did not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you'll see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged. There are so many things I want to share, but I don't think you can handle them right now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will honor and glorify me, 
for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. John sixteen five through 15 This is why Jesus came, to make it possible for God to work through all of mankind to overrule the works of Satan. The Holy Spirit, who resided in Jesus, would not be with man until Jesus had returned to heaven. Jesus was overjoyed at the thought of the precious Holy Spirit coming to live in everyone who would receive the good news message. He was especially pleased that all the authority and power that he held as the Son of God would also be available to all believers. The more Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, the more excited he became. It was as if he really wanted to go away and leave his disciples in the care of the Holy Spirit. One of the disciples spoke out his observation that Jesus appeared to want to leave them so the Holy Spirit could come. Jesus responded, I'm only one man and can speak to only a few of you at once. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be able to speak to everyone on the earth at the same time, be everywhere at the same time, and give anyone who believes in me the authority to do the mighty works I did. It is good that I leave you, so one so mighty can come. Ah, here we are, said Jesus. They were just approaching a beautiful olive grove located in the garden where Jesus and the men liked to pray. Before the men split up to pray in their separate areas, Jesus called them all together. It won't be long now, Jesus said. You won't see me, then you will see me, because I will go to the Father. John sixteen sixteen. Here he was again, speaking in riddles. You won't see me, then you will see me. The men who surrounded him had been with him for several years, but never heard him talk like that before. They looked at each other, questioning what he meant. What does he mean by a little while? They asked each other. Knowing that they had a question about this, Jesus said, Are you asking yourselves about what I said? Let me tell you, I know you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice, and you will be sorry. Chapter 37 Jesus asks God to deliver him from this hour. Go now and pray. Peter, James, and John, stay with me as I go into the alcove. The disciples saw Jesus' whole demeanor change. Where he was buoyant and excited as he talked about the Holy Spirit, he was now sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He left his dearest friends and went a little further and fell on his face in prayer. Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. However, it's not my will, but your will that must be done. After he had prayed a little more, Jesus returned to the three men he left to watch. Finding them sleeping, Jesus nudged Peter awake, saying, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so you don't enter into temptation. I know your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. With that, he left the men to return to his place of prayer. Again, Jesus prayed to his father, asking if there was any other way that mankind could be redeemed from their sin and separation from the God who created them. 
But knowing he was the only one who could satisfy that separation, Jesus prayed for strength for the coming hours. It was while he was praying that an angel of the Lord came to be with him. He was in such agony and prayed so hard that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he returned to the men, again they were sleeping. Are you still sleeping? Jesus asked. Pointing to the road that led up to the garden, he said, Look, it's time, because the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, see? My betrayer is here. Matthew 26, 36-46, Luke 22, 39-46. The rest of the disciples gathered around Jesus as they looked down the hill to see not only priests, but Roman soldiers with torches to light the path and swords strapped to their sides and clubs in their hands. The closer they got, the louder their voices grew. Jesus and his men then recognized among the chief priests and scribes one of their own, Judas Iscariot. When they arrived to the grove, Judas walked up to Jesus and gave him a kiss on each cheek. This was the signal to the soldiers which of the men was to be arrested. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The disciples were upset and angry when they realized Jesus was being arrested. Peter had a sword with him, and to defend Jesus, he drew it and sliced the ear off one of the chief priest's servant. Putting up his hand, Jesus said, We have to allow this. Jesus knew this was the will of the Father that had been prophesied hundreds of years before. It was now time for it to be accomplished. The man was screaming with pain, holding his head where the ear had once been. With great compassion, Jesus picked up the ear of the servant and placed it back where it belonged, healing it as though it had never happened. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and everyone from the temple, you come out here with clubs and swords like you're coming for a thief. Here, I was in your temple every day, and you didn't try to seize me then. Episode 38, Trial and Denial Jesus was taken from the grove to the home of the high priest Caiaphas. The house was full of other priests, scribes, and elders, also known as the Sanhedrin Council, as they waited for the prisoner. The disciples scattered not wanting to be arrested themselves. But it was Peter who followed at a distance to watch after his master. When he came to the courtyard, a group of people were milling around who were curious about the events taking place. Peter found himself by the fire trying to blend in, his thoughts whirling, confused and frightened at what appeared to be a trial of some kind. What a turn of events, Peter thought. We weren't doing anything. Why would anyone want to hurt Jesus? He simply wants to love and help everyone. What is going to happen? As he sat in the courtyard, gazing into the embers of the fire, a young girl came up, pointed to him, and declared, You were also with this Jesus of Galilee. Those around the fire looked over to her, then turned to look at him. Peter, shocked that anyone would recognize him, said the first thing that came to his mind, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter got up from the fire to get away from the searching eyes and walked to a gate. He wanted to stay near Jesus, but didn't need any attention drawn to him. I certainly don't need to get myself arrested, he thought. 
Meanwhile, inside the house, with hands bound behind his back, Jesus was standing in front of all the priests, scribes, and elders. It was an austere group of men, all in their formal priestly robes. They were called to this hastily formed hearing with the intent to cast guilt on this innocent man. Although the priests had tried to find some folks that could give testimony, even if it was false, they couldn't find anyone whose testimonies would agree. But finally, with some searching, they found two witnesses who would exaggerate the truth. Even then, their testimony didn't agree. Finally, with exasperation at having no witnesses to come against Jesus, the high priest, named Caiaphas, stood up among all the men and asked Jesus, Why don't you answer the charges against you? Jesus kept silent and didn't answer anyone. Then the same priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus finally answered, saying, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He's spoken blasphemy. Then looking around the room, Caiaphas asked, What do you think? And they all, in one way or another, declared death to him. Outside, while standing at the gate, a man came by, looking at Peter. The man said, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter said in a loud voice, I don't know the man. At the end of the courtyard, a rooster crowed, although not unusual to Peter. It sounded like a piercing horn. After the court finished, guards played a game with him, blindfolding and striking him, and then asking Jesus to prophesy and tell who had hit him. After an hour had passed, Jesus was roughly pushed and dragged out of the house, his eyes swollen and face bloody. Peter, standing in the shadows, saw his master, and at the same time, another confidently affirmed, saying, I know for certain this fellow is with him, for his language is Galilean. Again, the rooster crowed. At the same time, Jesus, as he was pushed again, looked over and caught Peter's eye. It was then that Peter remembered. Chapter 39. Rome Tries Jesus. By this time it was morning, and the plot to kill Jesus had advanced. Although Jesus knew this was going to happen, no human could comprehend the terror and pain he was experiencing. Jesus was all God, but he was also all man. His face was stretched tight with swelling from the beating he had experienced at the hands of the priests, servants, and leaders. Now he was bound and being delivered to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. The religious leaders wanted Jesus dead, but they couldn't make that happen without a real cause. So by taking Jesus to the Roman governor, they could bring charges that Jesus would try to cause an uprising in the nation by telling the people not to pay their taxes to Caesar, and that he was Christ, a king. Standing in front of Pilate, he asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, It is as you say. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were in this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from here. Pilate then asked, Are you a king then? Jesus responded, You are right that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. 
everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate then asked, What is truth? Although Jesus didn't answer, Pilate went to the priests gathered outside the chamber and said, I find no fault in him at all. The people, waiting to hear what charges Pilate would find in Jesus, were angry. They continued to accuse Jesus of many false things. Then someone in the crowd mentioned that Jesus had come from Galilee. When Pilate heard that, he knew that Herod was in town and that Jesus came from his jurisdiction. So with one command, Jesus was sent to see Herod, who could judge his case. Herod had heard a lot about Jesus and had wanted to meet him for a long time. He had even hoped to see him perform a miracle. But when he questioned Jesus over and over, Jesus just stood there, silent. The priests and scribes continued to accuse him with great hatred. In frustration, not finding any valid charges, Herod turned Jesus over to his men of war. As with the treatment in the court with the priests, the soldiers gave Jesus another beating. They continued to treat Jesus with contempt and mocked him by placing a beautiful robe on his shoulders. They had heard that he called himself a king so they wanted to make sure he had the robe of a king. Then they sent him back to Pilate. Luke 23, 6-12 40, Pilate sentences Jesus. Once again, Jesus was standing before Pilate, only this time they were both standing on a dais overlooking a swelling crowd. Word was out that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, was being tried as a criminal. Pilate speaking to the high priest and his whole council, said, After examining this man in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning those things you have accused him of. I sent him to Herod, and he also found no fault in him. He's back here, and certainly does not deserve death. I will then chastise him, and then release him. Pilate paused and then continued, I have decided to honor your custom during Passover and release someone to you. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? The priests and scribes were located throughout the crowd, anticipating this move by Pilate. When Pilate asked if he could release Jesus, the scribes started shouting, No! Give us Barabbas! Barabbas was a thief and a murderer, and was conspiring to overthrow the government. Following the initial shouts of the scribes, the people began chanting, Barabbas! Release Barabbas! Pilate shouted over the crowd and asked, What do you want me to do with this man? Again they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! The crowd got louder and louder, shouting, Crucify him! Shocked, Pilate cried out, Why? What has he done? But they cried out all the more, shouting, Let him be crucified! Among the crowd were the followers of Jesus, who had heard about the terrible turn of events. They were crying and shouting to those next to them, No! No! Let Jesus go! But the crowd grew even louder. Standing on the edge of the crowd was Judas, the betrayer. He was appalled at what was happening to Jesus. He thought they would just chastise him and let him go. He didn't think it would get to this. With great remorse, Judas silently slipped away from the crowd and went to hang himself. Pilate, seeing that he couldn't change their minds and couldn't risk a riot breaking out, took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person who has committed no crime. And the people answered and said, 
His blood be on us and on our children. Pilate then released Barabbas and ordered Jesus to be beaten, then crucified. Luke 23, 13-25 The Roman soldiers took Jesus into the grounds of the barracks and gathered the whole garrison around him. Jesus was stripped and a scarlet robe was draped over his shoulders. One of the men twisted a crown of thorns and beat it on his head and placed a reed in his right hand. Then, in unison, they bowed their knees before him and mockingly worshipped him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They then spat on him, ripped off the robe, tied him to a post, and flogged him with thirty-nine strikes. Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-seven through thirty-one, Mark fifteen, sixteen through twenty. The man whose job it was to flog a prisoner was an expert at his work. He knew exactly where to place the lashes to do the most damage. His whip was designed to tear the skin off a man's back. The ends of the leather held pieces of glass and metal, so with each strike of the whip on Jesus's legs, back, and arms, the wounds got deeper and deeper. His face was swollen and bloodied from the beating he had already had. Minute by minute, Jesus was getting weaker and weaker. Blood was flowing from his wounds. Chapter 41. The Cross Crucifixion was a relatively new form of punishment. Only Rome used nailing human beings to a cross until they died. It was meant to torture the condemned man, making it the worst way to die. The cross on which Jesus would hang was a pole designed to be tall enough that his feet could not touch the ground and had a cross piece in which to lay out the arms. The cross itself weighed more than a man, and the trip to the crucifixion site was uphill. Jesus tried to carry the cross along the rough streets, but fell to the ground every few meters. As Jesus stumbled through the town, people began following, and women mourned and lamented him. Because of the loss of blood, Jesus grew weaker with every step and was falling frequently. As the crowd grew, one of the soldiers grabbed a man from Cyrene named Simon to carry the cross for Jesus. The hill on which the crucifixions were held was called Golgotha, meaning place of the skull. Luke twenty three twenty six and 27, Mark fifteen twenty one, Matthew twenty seven thirty two. On that day, there were two other men condemned to die by crucifixion. Each man was placed on either side of Jesus. The soldiers were quick with their work. They tore off Jesus' clothes and laid him on the cross that was lying on the ground. Spikes were used to nail each hand stretched out to either side of his body, and his feet were laid on top of each other and nailed to the cross. To stand the cross, there was a hole in the ground deep enough to keep it from tipping forward. Finished, the soldiers lifted the cross upright and tipped it into the hole. It fell hard, jarring the nearly unconscious Jesus to respond with a scream of pain. The two men on either side were treated the same way. The crowd had followed Jesus up the hill, which included Jesus' followers. Among them was his mother, Mary. Other women who had tended to Jesus were also there with emotions ranging from anger to horror to hopelessness. How could this happen? Why didn't someone stop this? they asked one another. Weeping silently a short distance away was Mary, 
who had borne this man, knowing he was the promised Messiah of the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She knew his mission was one of sacrifice, but she never imagined it would end in this horrific way. As she looked up to her son and saw his battered body, she cried out to God to stop this insanity. It was then that Jesus looked down on the crowd and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. It took all of Jesus' strength to get those words out, but within him, he knew it was necessary to forgive those who had schemed and plotted against him. The Roman soldiers had picked up on the dark, vile atmosphere that Satan and his minions had created in the courtyard of the governor. Some of the men were taunting and cursing Jesus, but there were a few that couldn't figure out why this man was being crucified. But they reasoned they were under orders. The people around Jesus were ignorant of this deception and wickedness that pervaded the earth. They were looking on with conflicting thoughts. Even the rulers of the synagogue sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Luke twenty three thirty five, Chapter 42 The Death of Jesus Jesus knew he was dying and started looking at the crowd. There he saw his mother with his beloved disciple John. With a voice barely a whisper, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to John, Behold your mother. John nineteen twenty five through 27 Jesus wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of, so he put her in the care of John. From that day forward, John made sure Mary had all she needed, and she lived in the comfort of his home. After making sure his mother would be cared for, Jesus knew all he was to do had been accomplished. His assignment was finished. The people had heard of the kingdom of God. They had seen the love of God as he walked from village to village, healing, teaching, and caring about everyone that he saw. Now, unknown to all those people below him on the hill, he was doing much more. He was also taking on all the sin of mankind and all their sickness. His final task was to absorb the anguish and torment of all the sin of mankind. Pride, envy, hate, fear, covetousness, murder, sexual perversion, and much more. Jesus took on himself the sinful nature of mankind to bridge the gulf between them and their Creator. Whatever sickness people had in their bodies, he now bore. The thirty-nine stripes Jesus received at the whipping post that tore his body apart was prophetic. There are thirty-nine basic diseases in the world today, and Jesus took those diseases upon himself so mankind would no longer have to bear them. The crown that was beat upon his head also showed that he had taken on all our mental torment that the devil and his demons would bring against man's mind. Now, those who accepted him and the kingdom of God would have the authority to cast down the thoughts and imaginations Satan would send. As Jesus hung there on the cross, his body and mind writhed with pain and agony, not only because of his wounds, but because of all our sins and sicknesses and torment had been placed on him. Finally, 
Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you left me? Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Jesus was in a panic because he felt no comfort from God. God had to turn his face from Jesus, remove himself from this moment, because he could not look at sin. And Jesus had become sin, our sin. Without God, Jesus was dark and hopeless. After knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus muttered, I thirst. Knowing a vessel full of sour wine was nearby, the soldiers filled a sponge with the wine, put it on a hyssop branch, and put it to his mouth. Jesus drew a mouthful from the sponge and then spit it out. John nineteen twenty-eight and 29. When Jesus cried out in his darkest moment, people thought he was calling to Elijah. They thought maybe Elijah would rescue him. They were waiting for something to happen. And it did. With all the strength he could muster, Jesus said with a determined voice, It is finished. Seconds later, with his last breath, he said in a loud voice, 43. The keys regained. Jesus had died on the cross, and his body was dead. The soldiers had even made sure he was dead by thrusting a sword into his side. Because it was the preparation day, bodies crucified were not to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the two thieves on either side of Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. John nineteen thirty one through 34 For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. John nineteen. 36 and 37. Sealed in a cave, with soldiers on watch for anything that might be amiss, Jesus' spirit was not dead. He was very much alive. As the Son of God, Jesus had been empowered to defeat death. He had been a human man, but Jesus was also God wrapped in flesh. He was all God. Now, Jesus was going to do what man could not he was going to visit the place where Satan dwelled, Hades, or better known as hell. Jesus was going to take back the keys of dominion that had been lost in the Garden of Eden and return them to the rightful heirs, mankind. In hell, Satan and his angels were celebrating. They saw Jesus die on that old cross. They knew he was gone and out of their lives. Satan believed he would have free reign on earth forever and make life even more miserable for man. We got him good, shouted one slimy demon. Yeah, I helped the man with the whip strike him harder than usual, said another. I was there when they drove the spikes into his hands and feet, drooled another wicked demon. Yes, 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 said Satan, but our work is just beginning. We must put together a strategy to make the government even crueler and people more evil said the scheming devil. But first, let us party. We have much to celebrate tonight. Tomorrow we'll begin. At that moment, 
a bright light began to glow that made all the creatures of hell cower. They pulled their skinny arms over their eyes to shield them from an ever-growing light. What the... began Satan, but he stopped. When he saw it was the Christ, Jesus. Satan, Jesus roared, you thought you won, but now you'll see who has power. Jesus, I thought you were... Satan sniveled. Dead? asked Jesus. Oh, how you underestimate the power of the cross, Satan. All the demons in the chamber started gathering in a circle around the two enemies. Jesus and Satan began matching wits with each other. What have you to do with us? huffed Satan. Jesus' eyes narrowed as he circled Satan and began his case. Ever since you deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, you've had the dominion of earth. Mankind has suffered under your rule. My father couldn't even look on them because of the sin they bore. Yes, smirked Satan, and his demons clapped gleefully. Jesus held up his hands to silence them and continued, My father has also suffered because he's been separated from his creation. Father created laws that required a blood sacrifice. Chapter 44 Jesus Lives The first day after the crucifixion, the disciples, who had scattered on the night Jesus was arrested, gradually found each other. For two days they gathered together in the upper room, in the place they had met for their last supper. Some were afraid the soldiers would come to arrest them. Others were very concerned about their future. None of them had anticipated what had transpired on Golgotha. They were confused, angry, and frightened all at once. They huddled together in that private room, wondering what to do with their lives. They'd given so much of themselves, their time, sacrificed family and vocations to be with their master. Now he's gone, dead. With the Sabbath over, Mary of Magdala and another Mary were asleep in a small outcropping of rock across from the tomb where Jesus had been sealed. In the area immediately outside the tomb was a small contingent of temple soldiers who watched for anyone who might want to take the body. The priests placed them there for fear that someone would steal his body for the purpose of saying he had falsely risen from the dead. A small fire kept the men warm in the dawn chill. They'd been there several days, and were looking forward to leaving this place of the dead to get back to the barracks for a decent sleep. Suddenly, the ground began to quiver, then shake and roll. It's an earthquake, shouted one of the soldiers as they tried to remain on their feet. A brilliant light became visible to everyone around, and a figure emerged, first in silhouette, then in full sight. It was an angel of the Lord who had descended from heaven and came to roll back the boulder that sealed the tomb. When he had done this, he sat on top of the huge rock. His appearance was bright as lightning with clothing as white as snow. The soldiers were so frightened when the angel appeared. At first they were agitated, and then they could only shake in fear and eventually fell as dead men. The two women, although frightened at this amazing sight, crept toward the angel. Then they slowly bowed in the presence of this angelic being. He said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said he would do. Come, see the place where he lay. 
then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Tell them that Jesus has gone ahead of them to Galilee, and that they are to go there also to see him. Behold, I have given you my message. Matthew 28, 1-7 With many emotions racing through them, and trembling from what they had just experienced, the women ran to tell the disciples. When Mary of Magdala got to the room where the disciples were sleeping, she went to Simon, Peter, and John, and whispered excitedly, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. John twenty one and 2 It was difficult for Mary to share what the angel had said, for Mary was very much human, and had never experienced the appearance of an angel. She just knew that when she looked into the tomb, Jesus was gone. The disciples' response was unbelief. Where could Jesus be? Did he really rise from the dead? They thought the women were delusional in making up this story, or even mad with grief. Reason told them the boulder that covered the opening was impossible to move. But it was Peter and John who got up and ran to the tomb to see for themselves. Chapter 45. Jesus Appears in Person The disciples were gathered on the same evening the stone was discovered to have been rolled away to reveal the empty tomb, only this time there was a great buzz in the room. Everyone was sharing and discussing the recent developments. Some believed the reports. Others were doubtful. They were still afraid the Jewish leaders were looking for them. But somehow attitudes had changed. There was more to discuss than the finality of the death of Jesus. If he was not in the tomb, where was he? Did Mary really see and hear these things she says? What does this all mean? As they discussed and reminisced, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. There was a sudden silence in the room, startled and terrified, for they thought they saw a ghost. Jesus spoke again and said, Why are you so disturbed and troubled? And why do you doubt and have questions in your heart? Jesus looked around the room at the men who had walked, talked, served, and lived with him for three years. He said, See my hands and my feet, that it is me. Feel free to handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he said this, he pulled back the robe from his feet, to reveal the holes the spikes left. He held up his hands and wrist to show the wounds left when the Roman soldiers drove those large nails to hold him to the cross. When they still hesitated to lighten up the atmosphere and continue to press them to realize that it was he, Jesus asked, Have you got anything to eat around here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it in front of them. Then Jesus said, This is what I told you would happen while I was still with you. Everything that is written concerning me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Luke 24, 36-46 Suddenly they understood. It was like the light bulb switched on. They remembered the scriptures they learned as youths. They remembered what Jesus had taught them throughout the three years. And they remembered what Jesus said after they experienced the Last Supper before he was betrayed. It all flooded back to their remembrance, and Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, 
and on the third day rise from among the dead. Hosea 6, 2. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with such delight, they stood up and started hugging each other. They were thrilled, overjoyed, dancing with rapturous joy. Jesus the Messiah had conquered death, hell, and the grave. He had accomplished what the prophets had written. All in the space of three years, they remembered him saying, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends, if you keep on doing the things which I command you to do. John fifteen twelve and 13 What love he has, they thought, to die for us so we can live forever. We must be obedient to his word. As the celebration calmed down, Jesus needed to complete his mission for the evening. Peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are Chapter 46, The Forty-Day Walk Once Jesus appeared to his disciples, he remained in the Jerusalem area for forty days, continuing to talk about the kingdom of heaven, but not always just with the disciples. There were many followers that experienced Jesus' presence in that time. He performed many more miracles and signs so that they would believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing not only they, but you may have life in his name. John twenty thirty and 31. There were many things that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John twenty-one twenty-five. The day finally came that Jesus needed to complete his task on earth. Jesus knew that the disciples and many others were ready to continue the work he had started, but they needed their work orders to activate them. He got word to the eleven disciples who were waiting for him in Galilee to meet so he could give them their last instructions. It wouldn't be necessary for him to remain on the earth because these eleven disciples and others were witnesses of his life. He had told them that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. As the men gathered with Jesus, they worshipped him and glorified God. The disciples knew they would serve their Lord and Master for the rest of their lives. They were totally committed to sharing what they had witnessed to their friends and family. There were a few who doubted, not in whom Jesus was, but whom they were. They doubted that they could be used. They doubted that they were able to do or speak the things of the kingdom. But those doubts started to dissolve as Jesus began to speak. What Jesus was about to tell them changed not only their idea of their future, but their whole purpose in life. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I'm giving that authority to you. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Do not be afraid, because I will always be with you, 
even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18-20 Jesus reminded them what he had told them. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. John sixteen fourteen and 15 As that revelation filled their spirit, they realized that Jesus was giving them the same power and authority he carried with him to them. They felt something was changing their outlook on life, their attitudes, and ambition just through the power of Jesus' words. If he was going to be with them, they knew they would have the confidence to be world changers. They were receiving the keys of the kingdom. Jesus continued, bringing them back to the present, saying, Go into all the world and preach this good news to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink... You've just listened to Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? This is your host, Russell. Thanks for listening today. Join us again on Saturday for our next audiobook preview.